0: Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch. And today we're going to kick off kind of a in-season NHL series. We're going to call it looking towards the future, building towards the future, where we're going to take teams that are, we're probably going to start with teams that have missed the playoffs and look at where they're headed, what kind of trajectory they're on, what's, what's their ros- long-term roster building looking like, and we're going to kind of go team by team, in-depth look. So I, we know that some of you listening might be shutting this off at this point. Well, you probably didn't even click on it because you saw which team is up today. But your team will be up at some point. Again, we're probably going to do mostly non-playoff teams to start and then probably playoff teams maybe after. We'll we'll see how we decide to spend that. But we're going to start with the team that was probably the closest to making the playoffs team that's window is they're not stanley cup window but at least a playoff contender now we're going to start today with the buffalo sabers and we'll again we'll continue working through this as the season progresses any thoughts on this episode any questions anything like that at afp analytics on twitter if you consuming this you're obviously listening on some major platform but we are available on all major podcast platforms by searching max max term podcast any ads or anything associated with this podcast are not necessarily uh products ideas anything that we're promoting and we're not going to drop any inside information or anything on this team or any other teams as we go through it's this clearly Our opinion, only our opinion, and with that, let's kick off the Sabres. Again, we're starting here. Missed the playoffs by one point. From a team-building standpoint, they really are starting to embrace the thoughts, the feelings that we have. Is the right way to go about doing it? Whether they fully execute, I think that's the question. But... I think they're at least starting to go about it the right way. So they that's why we're going to start here. And so Sabres. Centers. Check. Check. Defense. Check. Check. Goaltending. Hopefully a check. And then hopefully for their team, things fall into place from there.
1: Yeah, so I think... To dive a step deeper is those checks are all additions to the organization that weren't high-paying, middle-of-the-career free agent additions. So when we talk about building a team the right way, In general, I think we're looking for a team that is able to draft well and or trade well, bringing in younger, controllable assets. Now, a bunch of those check marks for the savers that you mentioned are no longer the young, cheap assets, but that's because they've grown into a role, a high-level role where you need to pay them. So those centers you mentioned... Really, the top two right now will say Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins. We can dive a little deeper soon. The defensemen, I'm going to say Darlene and Power. The four players I just mentioned all have cashed in on new deals, or at least new deals that will come into effect in the next year. Goalie situation is kind of where the team is maybe... I don't want to say lacking or falling behind the rest of the team, but in a way you you could kind of say that. It's not quite to the level yet of, okay, we have our franchise centers and defensemen.
0: They might have the franchise goalie. I think the cliche to use here is all their eggs are in the Devin Levi basket. Yep. And I don't think that that's the case across the rest of their roster or even organizational depth. The Sabres are basically at a point where Devin Levi is the prospect and almost the only prospect. So he's their top guy, but there's not a ton of inspiring, like, Tobias Lennonin, I think I got his last name right, who they took a couple years ago, Scott Ratzloff, um, as well, who they took this past year, would be the next two guys realistically coming up because their other quote-unquote goalie of the future, Uko Pekalukunen, is with the team now and is maybe the backup, maybe the third stringer, and you also in the past couple of years could look at him, oh, they've got someone in Rochester who's developing, getting ready. That doesn't exist right now. They have two really veterans in Rochester, their AHL American Hockey League affiliate. So that is the concern. I mean, it's not a concern if Devin Levi is a top goalie consistently. He's playing 50, 60 games. You're fine, whatever but all the eggs are in the Devin Levi basket right now.
1: Yeah, and like you said, there's not really a whole lot coming in the pipeline. Maybe there's a couple guys, but it's very possible that the backup plan, if Levi doesn't pan out, is they need to somehow find a trade or dip into free agency, which specifically talking about goalies, um, if you aren't able to find and develop your own, chances are you're going to have to make a deal that isn't ideal. Um, signing a Jonas Corpus hollow to a long-term deal that you probably shouldn't get. Um, it's, you, you mentioned this is kind of a situation that across their organization, it, it's it's very unique. Forward depth is insane for Buffalo. Defensively, the depth isn't great. It's not on the level of their forward depth. But very quietly, it's somewhat solid, I think. Um, especially who they have in Rochester this year. Buffalo is looking really good from the forward perspective from the defense perspective there they could be improvement on the nhl roster but from a long-term um viewpoint good it, it is that goaltending that is of concern because like you said it's kind of all the eggs in one basket devin levi's basket that being said he's a top goalie prospect maybe we don't consider him that now that we know he's pretty much going to be in the NHL all year but as far as a young goaltender to develop I think there's plenty of teams who would love to have Devin Devin Levi right now so I, I think that's the positive for Buffalo is they have someone with a very high potential it's just with goalie kind of being the last major piece all they've got right now really is potential.
0: And even if he shakes out to be what the organization is hoping, um, which, again, we're not sitting here necessarily skeptical on his potential, him shaking out or anything like that, but it's still the way the NHL trend, is trending is most goalies are not playing more than 50 games. Games in a season. So even if Levi is that 50 game workhorse that you want, if you are going to consistently be a playoff team making playoff runs, you really want him playing 50 in the regular season so he's fresh and healthy for the playoffs and has a long career and is able to sustain this for a long time. You need someone to play 32 games and Ideally, that's someone you don't have to pay a ton of money, but is also reliable. I mean, we, we've we talked lots of times on this podcast about Tampa Bay's situation where all their eggs are in the Andre Vasileski basket. Great. He's tremendous, but it's starting to catch up to him. So, And Tampa didn't have anyone in the pipeline to really come up and step in with him being out. Or take the workload off of them in past season. so I think that's where I mean we've we've both said that's where the concern is with with the goalie situation at least for the organization. And there's nothing saying they won't throw more darts at the dart board in the next couple of drafts, but they've missed, and on most of the ones that they've drafted, because Levi was not their draft pick, they traded for him. He was. Is the Florida Panthers late-round draft pick that they acquired. The Sabres have not hit really on a goalie prospect in a long time.
1: Yeah, and I think that just kind of... I mean, what we're really saying right now is it's... I think it's fair to say it's been a little bit of a struggle finding a goalie. Um, And it has been a while... As the years get a little more important in the sense that Buffalo is kind of ready to contend, I think the pressure builds a little bit to turn your goalie pipeline into at least, I don't even want to say a strength, but at least something where you can sit here and say, okay, that's fine. We're going to be fine. Now, if Devin Levi can become that top starter, elite goalie, you're going to be saying that anyways. But like you said, being able to have multiple goalies you can lean on, one being your main starter, but really another one who, whether it's a backup or more of a 1B, so anywhere from at least 20 but maybe up to 35 games, um, that's very much needed. Um, in today's NHL, and to give a younger goalie example, so you mentioned Vasilevsky, he's played sixty plus games, numerous times, tons of playoff games, and he's wearing down. Back surgery. A more recent younger example, Jake Ottinger, He just wore out, and I mean Dallas looked amazing last year and Ottinger looked very good last year but it it just got to the point where he wore out too many games it doesn't necessarily have to be an older goalie who just can't handle the big amount of games anymore it's the younger guys who need to work up to playing full seasons as a number one goalie so even if Levi is for sure the future and net, you want a little bit more depth that you can lean on because if Levi is able to play 60 games this year at a high level, at least an average level even, that's unheard of for a rookie goalie. A 22-year-old, or going to be 22 at least this season, um, that, that that's absolutely unheard of. So I I think that that's the clear if we're going to try and assign a weakness to this team it's the goalie depth.
0: At least the weakness from a kind of long-term pipeline build. Yes. Yeah. That that's exactly where 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 do they really need to improve? Yeah. Yeah, 100% um and I like I'm really glad you brought up Jake Ottinger because, yeah, that's that's where this rate right now is trending. You can have an absolute stud. You can get to the playoffs, but, and the but's the problem, is is once the playoffs are there and you are really leaning on that goalie against the best teams in the league, night in night out with with just a grind it's not a recipe for success so we started probably weakness at least from a pipeline standpoint probably media as well and we we can debate that back and forth but pipeline standpoint levi i i already kind of meant made the reference to keep throwing darts at the dartboard i mean the sabers each year really need to take a goalie um I think it hurts a little bit that um Eric Portillo they end up moving out um which was it was his right to decide not to stay with the organization because he didn't see a path to the NHL I'm not I'm not faulting the player and I'm not going to sit here and say that he was the answer either but it did at least leave uh maybe a little bit of a developmental gap which is when I referenced their AHL affiliate the uh, Rochester Americans here they don't have a prospect, really. They have American Hockey League veterans in goal this year, and that's just because realistically that spot was planned to be Eric Portillo. Again, does it? Is it going to make or break their long term success? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't count on Eric Portillo becoming the long term solution for the LA Kings either. But it's kind of the demonstrations you need to set up your pipeline in a certain manner. And they kind of have a gap right now. Again, not impossible to fill it, but probably needs to be addressed.
1: You want to be able to consistently have a next man up, pretty much. Um, you, You want to consistently be producing talent. Pretty much, I guess that's another way to phrase it. And right now, like you said, there's a little bit of a gap there, um, goaltending wise. I want to kind of move to some uh, a different position here where it isn't the absolute strength of the team, uh, but I think they've kind of quietly improved. Um, is the defense so just a quick rundown they've essentially got a top three locked in for a while Um, Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power, and Matias Samuelson those three right now that's your top three on the NHL roster right now I want to say they're kind of just filling in around those guys Henry Yokiharu, at one point, was hopefully going to be your number... I mean, before Samuelson showed up, the idea was, can Yokiharu play on your top pair, big minutes, real solid play? That hasn't happened. Um, It's seeming more and more likely that he kind of has a ceiling of second pair minutes with a really good partner. And even that is a little shaky. It might be more ideal he's on a bottom pair. Connor Clifton was just signed for the next three years. Um, so it's not necessarily short-term plan with Clifton, but he seems like he's kind of going to be that bottom pair type of player. Eric Johnson, um, interesting signing, probably brings some real solid leadership of someone that recently won a cup for one year, so that's not a long-term thing. Jacob Bryson, younger player on a one-year deal with RFA rights, but he's kind of a bottom pair or extra defenseman. Um, So beyond those top three, there's really just kind of these filler guys who I I think that's fine. Um, You need those type of players. I don't know if you ideally have that many of them.
0: Yeah, um I think I think really the question is Henry Jokiharju a top four defenseman. Because if your answer to that question is yes, then suddenly you your outlook is better. It, it, like it's a rosier outlook if you want to answer that question yes. I don't think we want to answer that question. Yes. I think we have three guys who are definite long-term top threes. I almost maybe should have given a check to three defensemen with Matias Samuelson being the third when I did our, the opening rundown. So you have those three guys. And then I think there's a very clear gap right now that again, I think there's there's going to be maybe a level of differing opinion on Yoki Haru, who's still relatively young at age 24. So, like, if you want to talk yourself into him, you I I think you could. If you want to talk yourself out of him, you also can. And I think the the point of he's probably a third pair defenseman is probably correct. I think that's that's where he is. So which is fine every everyone needs a guys that you can trust playing on that third pair as well that's not the issue it's you still have all probably a top four hole and then one more hole on your bottom pair which realistically from a team building standpoint that sixth defenseman is probably a kind of veteran type guy that you roll in and out every couple of years like That's a counter Clifton. Like you sign him for a couple years, deal's over. Okay, you sign the next guy for a couple years. So that that sixth guy is, is kind of not not as important. You have three guys locked up. It's that fourth, fifth spot that I think the organization has an issue with now, but might have the names in the pipeline, and maybe we even seen one of them. This season, I'm looking at Ryan Johnson, who was who stayed in college um, for as long as basically he could um, veteran, basically a college veteran from the Minnesota Golden Gophers who could have walked and signed with any team, but chose to stay it with the Sabres organization. And I think that also says a little something about how he views his spot in the organization, because I don't think he stays if he doesn't see a path to the NHL. So to me, he's the one that I'm penciling in for number four.
1: Yeah, I think he definitely knew that there's opportunity there. Um, And obviously, so he's in the AHL right now. It wouldn't shock me to see him this year in Buffalo. He's, I think, the favorite in the pipeline to kind of get that first opportunity at a bigger role especially in a long-term sense. Another name I want to throw out that I think is a little bit of a lesser known name but a solid defensive prospect Nikita Novikov. He came over from Russia and he's recently signed in the AHL. I believe he's a 20-year-old defenseman. There... So I guess to give some perspective a year ago. Ryan Johnson's possibly leaving. He might not sign. Don't know if a guy like Novakov's gonna come over from Russia. Kind of very up in the air of where the defensive prospect pool really falls as far as kind of in comparison to the rest of the league. Getting those two guys in and in Rochester now is huge for the Sabres as far as I guess to kind of reference what we were saying with the goalies, being able to develop and try to start consistently producing talent. um, I I think they're starting to move into that situation with their defense. I I don't think they're complete. They're done doing that. Um, They've still got a little bit of work to do to strengthen that depth, but where they're headed
0: with the defense is kind of where you wanted to see the goaltending go. I think a level of that also is. So I, I think you could make an argument if you took away their NHL talent. So put that aside for a second. I think you could make an argument that the prospect pool on defense is weak, but putting aside that and those NHL players is, is obviously not, you're not doing that because you have, as again, three spots basically secured for six, seven, eight, year, nine years, and you only are going to need to plug in one to two more guys, so you don't have to have the most robust system. So again, should they beef it up? Yes, but Ryan Johnson goes is seems to be a prospect that goes a long way to giving you. Potentially second pair possibilities, but definitely like third long term third pair. So you want to move on from Henry Oki? How are you okay? Ryan Johnson becomes your kind of plug and play third pair guy that's steady, all minutes, everything like that. You mentioned Nikita no- Novikov. I think quick interlude to just just general team building idea. The Sabers have made a intentional commitment to drafting developing players of Russian descent and I don't think and I think the way they've done a gone about doing so has been very intentional started with Alexander Kisikov coming over he comes over and is kind of learns the culture just the style of play so, like, you, you have to think a lot of Western and, like, Nor Norwegian countries in Europe, Western Europe, and then some of the Norwegian countries, Sweden, Finland, a lot of those players learn English. They learn English growing up um, as at least a level of second, third language. They're much better at... I'm much smarter at that than uh, me who can barely remember my high That's school fine. Spanish here. But they can speak the language. The culture is not the same, but it's a little bit more similar. You draft someone from Russia who probably has not learned English is coming from a very, very different culture. And then suddenly you're putting them in any American League city. I mean, <laughs> Rochester, New York's probably one of the bigger American League cities. I guess the American League is one thing. Like, if you think across just all sports, minor leagues, like baseball, like you have some very obscure minor league baseball towns. But you, you put them in in a city where there's not a lot of people coming from similar backgrounds, similar cultures. Oh, on top of that, they have to make their money learning something where they can't really understand what's going on from a language standpoint and maybe are not making friends. Like just think about all that from a, from just a personal perspective. So I think the Sabres have done, have been very intentional one guy over now they're trying to bring a couple more guys from the same culture and hopefully that they can develop a level of pipeline and integrate them together. So they all end up just staying in the American Hockey League, not great for the organization long term, But this, but it also is kind of a win because they've started to add to what they're doing from just the team building culture standpoint because there are talented players across the world and bringing in someone of Russian descent should not be an impossible task but it feels like for some teams if they don't put the infrastructure in place signing them getting them to come over is is very very difficult and it's not there's so yeah, there's the geopolitical side of things, but it's really just culturally from a human standpoint, it's not easy to kind of think about. So with that interlude, let's get back to kind of how the Sabres have went about building defense. Couple guys were drafted recently. Well, this past draft, Max Straubach, I think I got the name right, was was a second round pick this past year. He's he's really the highest draft choice that they've made under Kevin Adams on defense and to me they need to just like I said they need to keep throwing some darts at goalies I think they need to throw a few more darts at defense they did in the most recent draft but I was expecting more from the drafts before that
1: yeah I think we've kind of talked about can a a team with a clear strength in one spot kind of use that to their advantage flip that for a different position I think as you work from the offensive zone into your own end of the ice it almost gets a little bit harder to find those premium assets so we started with goalies it's not easy whatsoever to find a real good goalie Defensemen, I I don't think it's it's that easy either um, and because of that yes you, you would think they'd throw a, a little more darts at the board um, that being said uh, so where I view the defense a little bit differently than the goalies is so y- you kind of mentioned how if you if you take away the NHL roster and you look at the defensemen in the pipeline for buffalo so we'll, we'll say ryan johnson nikita novikov to start those two in rochester as future possible nhl defensemen in comparison to a lot of other teams not great for what buffalo needs if we bring back in the nhl roster well it's an improvement on where they've been the past couple of years that's really the main thing for me is I think they're moving in the right direction defensively. Um, it's not where it needs to be yet, but they're making progress there. Um, do you have anything else you want to touch on defensively?
0: I, I think just from up here, like, oh, how are we building this out long term? Well, they have Darlene, Power, Samuelson built out, signed long term. I think you look to identify a fourth, ideally on your second pair. Is that Henry Yokiharu? Is that Ryan Johnson? Do you not have that answer yet? But I think that that's kind of the long-term question mark right now is is who are you? So right now we have a couple names we might pencil in, but I think you want to put someone in a pen more permanent there you look at Colorado Avalanche have four guys that they're will put in pen in their top four. No question. I, again, there's three, but we, we, you want to see a fourth one, I think. And until we get to a spot where we, where you feel comfortable identifying who that fourth is, I think the question remains. And again, maybe, maybe it is one of the guys in their organization. Maybe it, i'd lean at this point probably more ryan johnson than yoki haru based on sample versus unknown but you need an answer there and then you can kind of finish building it out i mean realistically if you just are cycling through veterans on your bottom pair that's also fine
1: yeah and that's almost even just from a cap perspective almost what you should be doing like your your bottom pair I mean, unless you've got a lot of players signed to really friendly contracts, in general, your bottom pair is going to be guys that you're constantly rotating through. Um, none of them are, like, long-term have to be on the roster. It's, can this guy fit on the penalty kill really well? Can we give this guy 12 minutes and he's just, well, maybe not 12 is kind of low for a defenseman, but main point being that those are guys you rotate um it's really locking in those top pairs the top 3 already locked in like you said and that's great if you can lock in a fourth that's awesome i don't know why this team popped into my head but for a while the minnesota wild um you've got um so you basically had I would say Dumba Brodine as a second pair and your top pair was Ryan Suter and Jared Spurgeon. And I might not have the pairings exactly right there, but there's a team that had a clear top four. And I think if you're striving to build an all around solid roster, you, you
0: want to see that top four, not necessarily a top three. So I think the last point I want to make on long-term building is I don't know if there's a magical number and magical percentage you want to allocate to goalies to defense to forwards but I think the team does have to so they need to find someone for that fourth pair but they also need to be a little bit judicious with how they're pinning that player because they have basically 20 million in two guys, 25 and three guys. I'm rounding up a little bit, but 25 and three guys, even if the cap's a hundred million, you know, in the four five, six years down the road, that's still a quarter of your cap on three, on three defensemen. So it's going to go up. So you have to be a little bit mindful of, I guess how much you're spending I don't you can't go out and make a massive splash but there's names there will be names out there there will continue to be names that don't put up maybe the box score numbers but they do put up the or they are good on eyes like basically they need to find another Matias Samuelson ideally
1: yeah I think that's really what they need is someone who can be a defensive presence because they've got two players they, they've got one player for sure, and it seems like they've definitely got a second player, it's so Darlene and then Power, we th- are pretty sure, that are going to be able to play a high-level offensive role as a defenseman. Um, We kind of got into the cap a little bit there. Let's pause on that so we can dive into the forward group here, and I think Once we get through that, we can kind of bring this all together from a cap management perspective. But forward is really where like this team has it like almost as good as any other team as far as a depth perspective. I think it could be argued that they have one of the best, if not the best overall young pool of talented players at forward um, in the league. Going to start, so we we touched on the centers um, at the beginning of this episode. Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins are really the top two, um, and both signed to pretty decent contracts. Um, We'll we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to dive deeper down the center uh, depth chart. This gets a little shaky because there's enough of them where they kind of could move to the wing at times, but I'll start with Casey Middlestat. Um, generally the third-line center for them, and didn't really fully come on as a talent until last season. Really started to show it at the end of the year when he got a little bit bigger of an opportunity with some guys hurt higher up in the lineup. He looks like a really solid center who is on their third line, but could maybe be a little bit higher. You've also got a former first-round pick in Peyton Krebs, Kind of waiting to see him break out a little early this season. It seems like he might have another little, I guess what we can say, he's got a little pep in his step this year, it seems like. So that that could be good for Buffalo moving forward. At the same time, last year he really established himself as a pretty solid defensive center, which fit a role that they needed on their fourth line. But I, I I mainly wanted to I, I guess name those four names as far as NHL centers that could potentially be long term pieces for them.
0: Yeah, I I think Thompson and Cousins. Well, they're they're ideally penned in as one and two. I I think there's always there might always be questions until you see. I mean, Thompson's come very close to playing multiple seasons together, but. I think there will still be a question mark. Are they elite first-line centers until you start to see it? Basically until this team makes the playoffs and one of them is driving that organization. Yep. Middlestat's, the, I think, the interesting one. I have been a Casey Middlestat defender not since he's been drafted, but for a while. Um, from my standpoint, when you're evaluating players across the league, and I'll tie this to Peyton Krebs as well, I look a little bit at are the flashes there is the ceiling there can things be put together to get to a spot where you feel comfortable where where you see what they could become and I think the Casey Middlestat there were inc- there were lots of inconsistencies in his game but event- but you could see the flashes you could envision what he could be if things started to click Again, you got to You you have to cut bait eventually, but you also have to be patient when you start to see those things. So Middlestat, you see, you you have I've barely seen those things. I think a lot of people saw them, but worried too much about the inconsistency. Peyton Krebs, on the other hand, I don't see the same ceiling. That's not to say that he does not have a long term role, but when you start to build. out out and again, we'll hit the cap probably at the very end. But as you start to build out your roster, your organization, you start to budget for your players. Can you afford to pay a fourth line center four million dollars? Which is, I'm just spitballing. We haven't run any numbers here. I'm gonna spitball Peyton Krebs as a three to four million dollar fourth line center. That, to me, is where the question mark is, as well as when you start looking down the depth chart through the organization. You have guys in your pipeline. Maybe they're not suited to play that role, but you have guys, you have places to plug. So Peyton Krebs, to me, is the one that I question long-term, but I think he's going to be there because of some intangibles as well.
1: Yeah, and I I think—I don't think it's a knock on Krebs by any means, Um, but the abundance of centers in this organization could possibly make him an odd man out, especially if he takes enough of a step, like you said, to kind of get into that $4 million range. Um, That being said, you mentioned that there's more centers coming for Buffalo. Do you want to kind of run through that list? Um, It's kind of a long one as far as, like, a prospect pool would be concerned.
0: Um, Yes. I mean, as you alluded to, like, some of these guys could end up on moving over to wing. Who knows? Maybe, like, a Krebs, Middlestad, or even Cousins. I think Thompson's at center. He seems to have proven a lot to be a lot better there. So I think we'll keep him at center although he also was very good at the end of last year playing wing with Dylan Cousins, so who knows? So this isn't just limited to the prospects. Some of these players who they decide to commit to long-term could end up on wing, but Matt Savoy was drafted as a center. Noah Oslin is a clear center. Yeri Kulik was drafted as a center. I think he ends up more on the wing. Anton Wahlberg, there's your fourth potential fourth-line center. But your other potential fourth-line center, Tyson Kozak as well, has... I mean, he was a seventh-round pick, but he has the skill set of a fourth-line player. I compare him a little bit to, like, a Zemgis Gergensen's. I think that that's, that's a fair comparison. So, what, I just named another four guys in addition to the four guys that if they had no one in the prospect pipeline, you could probably lock up and feel comfortable with where you are center depth for the next seven years. Anyways.
1: Yeah. I think that really speaks to um, kind of what they've prioritized in the draft um, for better or worse. They, they've built a huge strength here at the same time. We look and say, well, what are they going to do with all these centers? It's an easier generally transition to go from center to wing than wing to center. Um, And I think that's kind of how Buffalo looks at this is not every one of these players that's drafted as a center is going to stay a center. Um, That said, there's also depth on the wing now. Um, So starting in the NHL... You've got Jeff Skinner there making a a lot of money, 9 mil for the next four years, but he's considered to be one of your top-line wingers, Alex Tuck on the other side. Working down the lineup, Jordan Greenway was just acquired last year. Um, Seemed to be not quite the Jordan Greenway everyone was expecting last year, but it's kind of come out since that he was... Dealing with a little bit of an injury. Um, and he's looked good so far this year.
0: I wouldn't even say a little bit. It seems like his shoulder was pretty yeah. pretty messed up. Yes. Um,
1: so, I mean, that's a... I, I want to make sure we point out Jordan Greenway, 26 years old. is a younger player. There's a history with Buffalo's coach, Don Granato. Um, someone Buffalo seems to be excited about. Uh, another winger... After Greenway, I, I would really point to is a J.J. Paterka, very young player, twenty-one years old this year, had a fairly solid rookie season. I mean, there were there were times where he kind of looked like he, well, he was a rookie, um, made some mistakes, but that that's okay. There were flashes there, um, so that that's someone who I think, at minimum, it should be expected he's a middle six winger. Um another winger to touch on uh came up with Paterica is Jack Quinn. This one is I, I would say a little bit of an interesting um future projection because he just had an Achilles injury, which he's a young player. If anyone's gonna come back from bigger injuries it's going to be the younger guys but I don't want to downplay how serious of an injury that is I also I, I don't want to say that oh, okay all of a sudden Jack Quinn's going to be a different player I, I don't think it's that case but it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get back and I think even once he is back it'll take a little bit of time for him to get back to the level he was at last year um, which I will say at by the end of last season Jack Quinn looked like he was. Pretty much ready to settle in for good in a top six role. Um, Almost a little surprisingly, a very well rounded player. He was real good defensively for Buffalo, which I don't think people were really expecting. Um, That's kind of the NHL depth on the wing, at least going into the season. There's a player who. No one really expected to make the team, but he's made the team and looked good so far all throughout the preseason into the regular season. Zach Benson, he was their first-round draft pick this last year.
0: I watched enough. I watched a couple of the games, um, and I've been driving the Zach Benson train since the preseason, basically. I guess as we're on the NHL forward. So, Zach Benson, long, definitely prospect. I'd argue they're top prospects right now. He's He's been that good. He's that good of a two-way player. Like, he reminds me of Jeff Skinner with probably more defensive ability.
1: Yep. I, I agree with that comparison. I agree with him being their top prospect.
0: So... We and then I think there's one more NHL roster player this year. Well, there's a couple more. Victor Olofson, Zemgis Gergenson, Kyle Poso. I didn't throw him in for centers, but maybe he should have been there, but I'll throw him in now. Tyson Jost as well. Those are the players on one year unre one year contracts will be unrestricted for agents up front after this season. Kyle Post is the team's captain. That, I mean, that's probably a year-to-year thing. Zemgus Gergensen has been a leader with the organization for a long time at this point. I don't know. I guess he's someone we, we get into a little bit more here. Victor Olsen, if he makes it through this season in Buffalo, is going to... Be basically he's going to walk as a free agent. The Sabres will not be re-signing him. I will confidently say that. Um, and I'm also not, I mean, I'm even questioning if he makes it through the season with the organization. So we I think where where it's important to kind of look before we hit the prospects is long term what spots are available. I mean, we we kind of did that with a little bit centers. Wings so. sin spot will be available, but but realistically, that might be Jack Quinn. So let's say Jack Quinn, J.J. Paterka, Zach Benson. Those are probably your. I I don't want to say obvious because I'm going to push back on a player in a minute on on a long term, being there long term. Jeff Skinner is probably there four more years. Jordan Greenway is probably there two more years. Alex Tuck is under contract for three more years. That's probably where your decision starts. Are you going to commit to a 30 year old Alex Tuck? I don't I mean, right now, I don't think there's an answer either way. But I would say the style of hockey he plays, I'm not confident how gracefully that's going to age.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And it's sort of a boring answer from me, but it's really going to depend on what the number looks like for him. Seems like he is a player that kind of came into Buffalo and really has helped turn the culture around a bit I go back to I remember there was an interview with Kyle Okposo I don't remember if it was last year or the season before basically said something along the lines of we're going to have to learn to be okay with losing some players essentially losing some friends basically It's a young team growing up together. There's some important pieces, not necessarily even the young guys, but just some important pieces to this roster that are seen as leaders that are eventually just not going to be kept. Um, I think that big first decision, I think you're right, it is Alex Tuck. It's going to completely depend on what the number is. I think it's also going to depend on things like in three years, where's Jack Quinn's game? Where's Paterka's game? Because I guess even what where's a Zach Benson? How's he looking? Because those are your guys that are going to kind of be up in the next few years for a new contract. And if they're clear top six players, there might not
0: be a spot for Alex Tuck long term for a, a new deal. So I think that's that's kind of the point and where we got we start looking here is, okay. So I keep looking at Victor Olsen's name, but we but also that's really Jack Quinn's spot. So right now the Sabers have been rolling at, with Skinner and Tuck on their first line wing. Those two guys are with the organization for three more talk three more years, Skinner four more years minimum. There, there, there's nothing happening there. Say their second line, Paterka-Quinn, long-term. Third line, Greenway-Benson right now. So Benson, you're you're hopefully penning in for a long-term. Greenway, two years. So there's, there's a two-year spot. And then on the fourth line, if you will, the checking line, whatever you want to call it, Gergensen's a poso. Basically, are your wingers there? That's probably a year-to-year decision. But at the same point, you, the way the Sabers have deployed their forwards, that line needs a special makeup that I'm not sure all of these prospects we're about to talk about are going to necessarily have or bring. So realistically, Jordan Greenway spot should be available in two years. Alex Tuck's maybe in three. Jeff Skinner's maybe in, well, probably in four. Probably one of, I mean, it could be a center. But I think one of the wings also is kind of an odd man out. And this maybe, maybe I'm out ahead of things. Maybe this is a hot take. I think J.J. Paterka ends up as the odd guy out. I think
1: if everything were to go right for all of the players on this roster, he's the odd man out. Um, What I think is important to mention, I I guess a couple things. Paterka could develop into a pretty solid, like I'll, I'll even say a top six winger. If Quinn's a top six winger and all these other guys you mentioned are still there, there might not be room, not just from a lineup perspective, but possibly a cap perspective. What I want to say here is it is okay for that situation to play out. That's actually a, from a team building a roster management perspective, That's the ideal scenario. That's what you want happening at every position, forward, defense, and goalie. You want to be producing so much talent that eventually you get to a point where, okay, we're going to have to let that guy walk. We've just got too many young, controllable assets that it doesn't make sense to sign this guy to a new contract that's a bigger number. Um. I think Buffalo, assuming some of these prospects develop the way they're expected to, or at least reach 80% of what we think their potential is, 75%, 80%, that's the situation Buffalo is going to be in. Is It's it's going to be, well, we would love to keep an Alex Tuck. We would love to keep a Paterka. We'd love to keep a Casey it, they They just might be odd men out. Um, And
0: it's because of all of this forward depth that they have. So this is where the idea of wage waiver eligibility starts to also come into play. Eventually, their hand is going to, I mean, in tandem, their hand's going to be forced It's either they might have to decide to pay a guy or so that in the Paterka situation, new contract, got to decide whether we're going to pay him or not or there's going to start to hit a point where some of these guys are no longer going to be able to be sent freely down to the American Hockey League, and suddenly you're risking losing one of your top prospects for nothing, and you can't, you can't get to an offseason where that's basically known because you've backed yourself into a corner. So you have to make a decision before that. So I think some of the forward prospects to keep an eye on mentioned Matt Savoy as a center also mentioned Yeri Kulik as a center Kulik and then I think the other the other I think top prospect right now Isaac Rosine, and then Victor Noichev as well another Russian who came over this past offseason those are probably your top least from a scoring pers, like top six top nine guys and then they have a few guys that maybe do slide into that bot uh that fourth line role brandon biro if still considered a prospect he's borderline a vet like an american hockey league veteran at this point um i'm gonna put brett murray in the same situation i don't think he's i don't think brett murray's ever a full-time nhl player And then you, we mentioned Tyson Kozak, Philip Cedarquist is probably your pence, maybe one of your pencil in fourth line energy guys. And then you have a Lucas Rusek, Linus Weisbeck, Oliver Nadeau. I mean, there's names, but like, there's no one that you're confidently saying is going to step in for Kyla Poso Zemgis Gergensen's next year. And I think that's a little bit of an issue.
1: Yes and no. So what I'm thinking is... So my first thought with that is I don't know if they'll necessarily need to have someone step in for those players, or maybe at least both of them. I I think it's very possible one of them's back with the depth At forward, the higher level scoring depth, I could see a situation where Krebs is still that defensive lockdown center on that line. I also don't know if those solid defensive fourth line guys necessarily show themselves as exactly that until they're really in that role. I think there's signs of it. There's a style of play we can point to. But I don't know if it's as simple as saying, look at the offensive talent. This guy can score goals in junior hockey or in the AHL. I I think it's a little more complex to predict that defensive play at forward. What I think is important and it's something they're doing, is they've addressed that second-level prospect pool. So not the scoring guys. There's a handful. You named them. Guys, you're, you're not expecting to become top six, but could be bottom six. It's not one or two. There's five, six, seven names we can point to. I'm not overly concerned personally about them being able to find someone to step into that more defensive line role where it'll get interesting is with all of these we'll call them top six top nine prospects is if they hang on to them do they just start to fill out the lineup you start seeing some of them on that bottom line
0: I feel like the ideal answer is yes. But for a team that already is questioned from their defensive play, I'm not sure the answer is going to be yes.
1: So this kind of leads me, I, I guess, kind of away from looking organizationally who is there. And more so how teams tend to be built or certain decisions that might need to be made. When you have such a strength like the Sabres do at forward, it tends to eventually give in a little bit as far as we need to turn some of this into a different position where we might have a weakness we kind of talked about this, I, I'd say, at the beginning of the off offseason, whenever we would discuss Buffalo, is all of these young forwards, and you kind of have that need on defense, ideally finding that fourth top-four guy. Do you start turning some of this defensive depth into...
0: A defenseman, or into a goalie, if you can. I think that's definitely one possibility. I mean, I'll say as you were kind of running through like that scenario, I think it's a hundred percent correct. Teams sometimes build in one way, prove that, um, kind of find out that they've moved a little bit too much that way, and then start to adjust back. I'd look at like the Tampa Bay lightning as the prime example of that is they frankly like five, six, seven years ago, their prospect pool is like the Sabres prospect pool is similar to what was being said about theirs. Yeah. And then they continue to dominate in the regular season, score lots of goals, but things just weren't coming fully together. They did a little bit of a tweak on the fly and suddenly they win multiple cups. That could be where the Sabres are headed. So it could be swapping a forward or two for a defenseman, which I think is still a good idea. But it could also be turning someone who's maybe not projecting out long term, but still a good prospect into someone who is more of that and I hate to use like grinder role but realistically that's that's the player that might end up being so like you you might be buying an older asset in that situation and the team has the ability to do so they did this they did last trade deadline when they brought in Riley Stillman but is it you you have to you have to be making smart decisions, and I think this is where, realistically, Kevin Adams starts to earn his pay. He's made the easy decisions. I don't think any of the decisions, like outside of the maybe the numbers on the contract, I don't think any decision has been hard. I maybe maybe Tage Thompson a little bit, but I think all the rest of the long term signings he's made most people would say oh that's a smart thing to do Samuelson he might have done a little bit early but everyone's seeing that now and agrees with that so it's now where he earns his money and I and first decision is realistically how he builds out the forward group because again we ran through who's potentially on this roster long term and we have Jordan Greenway's spot in two years that might be open and that's outside of that fourth line and that's, and that's where they are. So some decisions are going to have to be made soon.
1: Yeah. And I I think there could be a little give even before that, um, as some of these prospects start to push their way up into the NHL, higher into the lineup. Um, I don't know exactly where it gives, if it happens before that. It could be a Casey Middlestat. I'm not suggesting they let Casey Middlestat walk. He's an RFA after this season, but that could be an asset that gets turned into something else. I fully 100% agree with this is where Kevin Adams actually... Starts fighting for like a, a GM of the Year award because, like you said, everything's been easy. It, yes, getting to the right numbers is not necessarily easy, but you, you know, Darlene is a long term player on this team. You know, Power is, you know, Thompson and Cousins are your centers. Now, I think once you identify your core, it's all about how do I support this core and that's where it gets tricky that's where i think teams end up falling into the i I guess i'll call them bad deals the deals that don't quite work the way they thought they were going to they might pay a little too much for a supporting cast role this is where it gets tricky and the decisions get a lot harder so you mentioned alex tuck that's going to be a very tough decision at least we think. But we kind of laid out all these different players. If Quinn is still going to be who we think Jack Quinn can be, if Zach Benson is going to reach the ceiling that we think he has, it might be a more obvious decision with Alex Tuck than we think it is right now. Defensively, they still need to fill that spot, we believe at least, as far as turning the defense into more of a strength you'd like to see another higher in the lineup player there and then in goal there's kind of a hole there there's a potential future star not a whole lot of a backup plan by any means so there's a lot of decisions to be made there's some clear strengths some clear I don't I guess we can call them weaknesses Another aspect of building a team that I want to point out is what type of draft capital a team has. And I think Buffalo's in the right space as far as building a team. As far as when when Kevin Adams took over, it kind of seems like everything's gone to plan for him so far. And a big part of that is he hasn't really made that one next, I, I guess, I, I don't want to call it a desperate move, but he hasn't made that big trade necessarily um, to say, okay, we are going for it. We're filling this last spot yet. That might be seen as a good thing. It might be seen as a bad thing. From a asset management perspective, they've... Built their team in a way where they still have that ability to make a big move once they feel they're ready to. So, looking at the next three drafts, um, they have every single one of their own picks except a fifth round in this upcoming draft. So, first, second, third round, they've got all their picks. That is huge for a team that is about to become a contender
0: yeah i think it's i think it's absolutely critical for them to have those picks have those prospects but what we're also pointing out here is there is going to be a time sooner than later that you are going to have to you can't keep all of those because there's not room for all of them yes and so The forward group, we still haven't, like, there's no one, there's no clear, obvious holes until, okay, Jordan Greenway maybe in two years. Alex Tuck, maybe in three years. Jeff Skinner, maybe, probably, in four years. But those are, we're ticking off one spot, one spot, one spot. And again, the fourth line, maybe a couple as well. But we're, these are very incremental Amounts, and we already could pencil in multiple names for those spots. So eventually something has to give. It's the same idea that I mentioned earlier with the waivers. Like eventually you have to make a decision because you don't have room for everyone. And the time to make it is not when everyone knows you have to make it because then you're kind of your hands a little bit forced. It's to make it when you when on your terms, not someone else's terms. So I think think maybe about time to wrap it up. Look at their cap situation long term. Um, so they, so let's let's go past the Jeff Skinner four years. So again, in the short term, we've ran through. We've ran through. There is not many spots at forward. A couple spots at defense, but longer term. Thirty-eight million dollars committed to Cousins, Thompson, Dalene, Samuelson, Power. So let's so add in maybe filling out your fourth line. There's forty million dollars. Cap, I will say, let's say conservatively, hundred million. So you have sixty million to play with. Ideally, Devin Levi's prob So if he develops into what you think he's going to develop, this number might knock some of you out of your chairs if you're listening. Eight to ten million.
1: Yep. If he becomes that franchise goaltender, everyone is hoping he is.
0: Keeping in mind that next contract's coming two more years down the road where cap has gone up dramatically. Yes. So eight to ten million more there. So let's say 48 conservatively at this point. So then you have one more defenseman, I would allocate say 6-7 million to another top 4. 54 50, let's call it 55 and then maybe round out your defensive group for 7-8 more. So we're at 63. And we have a couple, we have maybe one spot available on the fourth line. And then the rest of my, or the rest of this forward group based on my kind of math in here. So we're at 65. We got about 45 million to dole out to your wingers and probably your third line center. So what's that next Casey Middles that contract potentially look like? If you can get him five to six, while well, we check off another center, and now we're down to let's say about forty million in cap space. So then you are filling out nine winger spots for forty million. So like it's there, but you have to be a level of smart with it though.
1: Yeah, I, I think it. where Buffalo has an advantage is because of all of this forward depth. I think it's going to keep them from reaching into free agency where those kind of the pesky long-term deal, like just the one deal where you kind of look at a team and you're like, if they didn't have that deal, things would be so much easier for them. I, I think Buffalo can really stay away from that. What's going to be interesting is, so you said roughly 40 mil for those last wingers is, well, okay, at that point, we're looking at Jack Quinn, Zach Benson. It's kind of tough to project where they're going to be at. I think in a perfect world, you could be paying each of those guys at least eight, if not more than that. Now, I, I think... What's going to be interesting is we're very big on signing your players long-term young. At the same time, I am willing to acknowledge that at some point, ideally, once you get your core locked up, there's going to be some pieces where you just have to go bridge. It's going to be interesting to see how they go about that because I could see that eventually happening with some of those wingers when we have that, let's call it, 40 mil left over down the road there. Let's say a Yuri Kulik is kind of doing really well on that third line. That might be more of a short-term they go bridge to fit him in than long-term. I think just naturally from a roster perspective, that's eventually going to happen for Buffalo. They might have to go bridge with some of these younger guys just to be able to keep them a little longer. That said, I think what that exercise you just ran through does is it shows really a level of flexibility for Buffalo that a lot of teams don't have. At the same time, there's a lot of unknowns that come with that. So projecting out long term, we can say it's tough to do because of those unknowns, but in a way, it's almost a little more exciting from a team building standpoint because you're not stuck, you're not locked in. There are a large amount of possibilities for this roster
0: moving forward. So forty million six spots that's almost 7 million on average that's actually pretty favorable math and so i'm not disagreeing there might be times where they do have to do a bridge but each like million or two million dollars they can save long term by going long term off the bat makes that maybe makes that six and a half to seven million attainable. Like your third line's probably more like four, four, maybe five, five. by that point now, suddenly you got like seven to eight to spend on your top f- six wingers. And I mean, that should get it done, especially if you can lock them in early, like that there's, there's a chance that that all happens and the cap could be higher. Too. like I'm being very conservative I think with my cap projection so I think it's there and I think it means that the Sabres can make basically be aggressive make smart decisions if they see a hole like on that fourth pair defense I don't love the idea of spending more money there but in theory I think they have the ability to do so
1: yeah so I I mean obviously we, we don't we're both of the opinion you don't do a bridge deal unless like you absolutely have to I'm more envisioning I could see it becoming more likely as more of the high-end talent signs long-term deals and that's where it kind of helps you I think keep some guys kind of on that third line level maybe that fourth defenseman I I think that's somewhat of a natural cycle of team building is once you get a lot of your core locked up it's going to mean tougher decisions contract wise where we could start seeing those bridge deals appear a little bit but yes ideally not at all that said they like you've mentioned that they are in a very good cap situation long term Big part of that is we believe that their top two centers are locked in at a very good number, each of them, just over 7 million, 7.1. Um, that allows for some wiggle room, and I, I think that's a prime example of going long-term early is, well, now well, we we want to look around the league. Most number one centers are 10-plus going to be 10 plus um if Tage thompson can for sure be your number one center long term at 7.1 that's that's great same with dylan cousins being on the second line if he is for sure your second line center that's where the long term early kind of allows for a little bit of those extra dollars later on when you're really needing
0: them so i think sabers have the potential to i mean i think we both agree they have the potential to really like be a powerhouse for years to come but they have to make smart decisions in the next couple years because that's going to set everything up so we started series with the sabers uh appreciate you tuning in listening um if you have any teams you'd like us to kind of include sooner than later at AFP analytics on Twitter, we'd be happy to uh, definitely take requests. Otherwise we might kind of continue working on teams. We think are kind of closest to taking that next step. Um, And we'll surprise you with maybe who we, who we think are there. Um, But yeah, we, uh, we appreciate you listening, subscribing to this podcast, any questions, anything at AFP analytics on Twitter. And with that, we'll talk to you next time.